We hope you enjoy this message and that it encourages and inspires you. For more information, head to lifepointwithanee.org.au. Some people are really, really good at being focused on a task, a project from beginning to end. And they start that project and not even the distractions of toilet breaks or lunches or morning tea and afternoon tea can take them off their focus of completing that project at hand. When it comes to distractions, how do you do with those distractions of a broader nature that come along when you're attempting to complete a kingdom building mission? You know those kind of God whisper missions? The vision, a calling, a leading, an unction that when you complete it is gonna move people towards the kingdom of God. That's gonna change people's worlds and lives. It's gonna almost knock, bang on the very door of hell itself. Whenever you and I venture onto some kind of God mission like that, that's gonna have an eternal impact, without exception, distractions are going to come along that's gonna veer you off course, disable your momentum, sabotage the success of the mission, make you wanna abort, pull up stumps and go home crying to mama. When you decide to step out in faith into enemy territory, there's this large bullseye drawn on your back. And make no mistake about it, the enemy is after you. That's why Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, that our struggle isn't against flesh and blood, but against those principalities and powers in the dark world. Or why Peter says in 1 Peter that he's like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Me. You. But it's also why Paul says in 1 Corinthians that we are not unaware of his schemes. That's one of the reasons why I love the book of Nehemiah. Because it's like Nehemiah's taken a whole bunch of notes on the enemy's schemes. He's jotted them down and he's passed them on to the publisher and the publishers put them in this book called A Handbook to the Enemy's Schemes. And if you turn over to chapter two, there's a chapter by Nehemiah called Distractions, page four, five and six. And on each page, Nehemiah gives us some ideas on how the enemy uses distractions to veer us off course from the mission that God has placed in our heart and on our lives. Intrigue, innuendo, and intimidation. Look it up in the handbook. Page four, five, and six, intrigue, innuendo, and intimidation. Since Sanballat and his sinister buddies failed in their attempts to get Nehemiah to stop building the wall, they dry a more subtle form of persuasion. Intrigue. Shiny things. Hey, Nehemiah, there's something really shiny over here. 
Why don't you come and have a look? It'll make life so much better. This is how it plays out in chapter six. If you've got your phones and you go to your version app, remember down the bottom right-hand corner under more, press on that events, you'll see LifePoint and you'll see all the notes and the verses from today right on there. When word came to send Balat, Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up until that time I'd not set the doors in the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messages to them with this reply. I'm carrying on a great project and I can't come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent the same message and each time I just gave them the same answer. When they realised that they couldn't get Nehemiah to stop that wall, they thought these vague invitations to come down to the plain of Ono, which is the, near the Gaza Strip, it's the holiday resort area. Nehemiah, come down and put your toes in the water. Come and sit at the bar and have a drink. Let's slap each other on the back and let's, let's talk. Let's see if we can't fix this. We're your mates. Come on down. Take some time out. You've been building that wall for such a long time. You must be tired. Come on down and spend some time with us down here. But Nehemiah smelt a rat. They were scheming to harm me, he says. Maybe they were trying to entice him to come out of the the guarded city and they were going to ambush him down the track. It doesn't matter what it was. Nehemiah was not going to be distracted by intrigue of the shiny things of the what if, of the maybe, or it could be better. Because that's what shiny things do, right? They wanna make you believe that what they're offering is better than what you've got. That life can somehow be so much better off if you go down to the shiny things than where you are. And particularly when you're in the trenches of ministry, in a God mission, when things aren't going according to plan, it feels like you've got the headwind against you, shiny things are so attractive. Shiny things pull at our heart. It's so much better over here. You don't have to put up with that over here. You can just rest your weary feet, put them up, let the sea breeze go against your face. Leave that stuff behind. Come on down to Ono. But I love Nehemiah's response. No thanks. No thanks, I'm busy at a good work. Four times they send, four times they send the same message, four times Nehemiah gives the same response. No thanks. No thanks, I'm busy doing a good work. No thanks, busy doing a good work. I heard a story years and years ago about a, a, a missionary in China from the States. And he was doing such an amazing work that these large corporations in the States heard about his leadership. And so they sent him an offer a job offer with a very generous package to come back to the States and help lead our organisation. And this missionary in China sent back a message saying, oh, thank you so much, but I feel like I'm where I'm supposed to be. So the corporation in America sent a bigger offer. 
Come on, come on over. We could really use someone with your leadership in our organisation. No thanks. I feel like I am where God wants me to be. So they sent back one more and it was double the original wage. And the, the man who was working in China in a mission organisation sent back a message saying, it's not your job, it's not, the, it's not the offer that's too small, it's your job that's too small. Sometimes that's what shiny things try and do. They try and convince you that your job is too small. That what you're contributing to the kingdom of God is insignificant. That's why the shiny things down at Ono are so attractive. You're not making an impact. You're not making a difference. No one would notice if you weren't doing what you're doing. You know, I think of Sahail over here on camera number three. Over there in the dark, camera three gets my good side on this side. And Sahail on a bad day might wake up and go, you know what? No one's gonna miss me on camera three if I'm not here. Let's be honest, they can't even, you know, can't even see me in the dark over there. Who would miss camera three? Would you miss camera three? But what I know is that they miss camera three. Shannon misses camera three. All those people who are in camera, who, who are online, get to see Sahel's amazing, great framed shots and zoom ins and zoom outs and pan shots that make it helpful for you to feel like you're here and not there to make it feel like you're right amongst it with us and not just separate in your home or in a hospital or wherever you happen to be. Sahail's camera three helps make that happen. Is Sahail's job on camera three significant? Absolutely. And so it is whatever you do. From turning and saying g'day and making someone feel welcome to buying someone a coffee, to helping in kids, youth, whatever it is you do. The enemy in a bad moment will go over here, no one will notice, but it's a distraction. Smell a rat. (laughs) Oh no, no, I'm doing a good work. I can't come down. Well, that didn't work so well for the guys down there in Ono. The shiny strategy didn't work. So instead they try more of an arm twisting approach. You'll see it on page number five of the handbook. It goes like this. Then the fifth time that Sam Blant sent his aid to me with the same message and his hand was, uh, and his same message and in his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written, really important, unsealed letter. Usually when it's an official letter from one king to someone important, it's always a sealed letter with a wax seal so that if anyone opens it, it's trouble for them. But instead, this time he sent an unsealed letter, probably hoping that the messenger would... Are you kidding? Hey, look at this. And hoping that what was in the letter would start to filter out there. Because here it goes, it's reported among the nations. And Geshem, my mate, he says it's true. 
that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt and therefore you are rebuilding the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you're about to become their king and you've appointed some prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king. So come, let us get together. This is such a classic arm-twisting experience that maybe you have experienced at some point. It goes more like this. I don't know if you've heard, but everybody is saying, I don't think this about you, but everyone else does. So I find it my duty. Nay, my privilege as your friend to share with you Whenever someone starts with everybody, smell a rat. Sanballat says it's reported among the nations. Which nations? All the nations? Some of the nations? Just his and Geshem's lays? How many nations? Did he take a poll? Did he visit them all and ask them and sit down? How does he know all the nations think all of this? Someone said once that gossip is the truth that you share really quickly before you find out that it's not the truth. Well, that's what's happening here. He's trying to arm twist Nehemiah by getting some gossip out there. And it's phenomenal how much we can take gossip, untruth, lies about us to heart and how quickly gossip can stop us in our ministry tracks. Again, apologies if I shared this story because I just can't remember which ones I've shared. But I had a boss once who felt like they had a real gift in being able to communicate to you what they see about you. And so I remember once I was in a job, uh, like a review, and in that job review, he said, Andrew, AB, I think you're really sneaky. Sneaky. Now, when I think sneaky, I think I'm hiding in the shadows and I'm plotting his downfall. And I've got a knife behind my back ready to stick it into his side. And I'm conferring with other people behind the scenes of what I can do to make things worse. That's when I think it's sneaky. And I remember stopping my leadership, just like putting the brakes on. If he thinks I'm sneaky, then I better stop doing things that might even be interpreted as sneaky. New ideas, forget it. Talking to that people over there, forget it. They're just breaks are on with leadership because I took what he said to heart. And then I remember going on a, a spiritual retreat for a day and I sneaky, if you look, it's not in the Bible that I could find. So I had to look up other words and I looked up in the Greek, things like integrity and honesty and righteousness and uh, like how... Um, you know, people supported each other, Barnabas. And I thought, what does that look like? And I had to dive in and figure out, is that me? I remember, uh, I remember another time I was uh, sitting in the, in the front row here uh, after some kind of, maybe it was Sunday night, I can't remember. And it was pretty fresh after uh, my separation. And a young man came to me and he says, I think you are disqualified from leadership because of your separation. You shouldn't be leading. It wasn't gossip. He didn't mention to anybody else. But I tell you what, I took that to heart. Am I really disqualified from leadership because of a separation in marriage? Is that, is that what happens? It's so easy for you and I to take these half-truths and throw them into our spirit and it puts the brakes 
on our ministry and our leadership and our influence. And imagine Nehemiah, if he had done that, if he'd taken these words from Sambalat, that all these nations, imagine if that got back to the king, the king that sent him to Jerusalem with the resources, with the time off to rebuild the wall. What if he really believed if that got back to the king? I mean, he'll be going, okay, tools down, tools down. Like, let's just stay low for a while. We don't want this to get back to the king. I don't want to come across like I'm you know, about to raise myself up. Sometimes that's what the enemy uses, innuendo, lies, gossip, to put the brakes on our ministry. I love what Nehemiah says. Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You're just making it up in your head. They're trying to fight, frighten us, he says. Their hands will get too weak for the work, they say, and it will not be completed. But then Nehemiah says, Lord, now strengthen my hands. He says, pull your head in. It's not true. Lord, give me strength. I'm getting back to work. Sometimes it's good to take on people's feedback because it's true. And humility is great. But when it's not true, pull your head in. It's not true. Lord, give me strength. I'm getting back to work. Don't allow the enemy to make you put the brakes on. Well, if that doesn't work, if a bit of innuendo doesn't work, then maybe he's going to go for intimidation instead. Let's ramp it up. Verse 10. One day I went to the house of Shema, who was shut in at his home. He said, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple and let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you. By night they are coming to kill you. Well, that's kind of true. Men are after him. They wouldn't mind knocking his head off. It sounds logical, going to the temple, protecting yourself, except Nehemiah knew that it was wrong for him or anybody else except the high priest to go into the holies of holies. He wasn't allowed to go in there. And why would a man of God like him go into the temple and close the doors to protect himself when the rest of his nation is outside, vulnerable to the enemy? Why would Nehemiah do that when the whole purpose of this wall is to protect the people? A man of God wouldn't do that. So straight away, Nehemiah knew that this guy was a false prophet. This guy was not who he said he was going to be. It was a stitch up. It says in verse 11, But I said, should a man like me run away? Should someone like me go into the temple to save my life? I will not go. I realised that God had not sent him, but that he prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sambalat had hired him. He'd been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this. And then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. If you and I look after character and focus, God will take care of the rest. One of the things I've found hardest over the last five years is to see leaders that I know around the world, not personally, just know of them, leaders that I know around the world who have gone into the temple and closed the doors thinking that they can go into the temple, close the doors and no one will know. The problem is because it's 
Distraction number three in the enemy's handbook. The enemy is planning at some point while you're in the temple to open the doors so everybody can see. And when he opens the doors so that everybody can see, your leadership and your influence and your impact comes to a grinding halt. And I have, you know, reasonable confidence that the enemy uses this distraction as much as any distraction on us. He might use intrigue, shiny things. And he might use innuendo, lies about us to stop us from moving forward. But how many times does he use you and I doing things in the secret that we think nobody's going to hear about? And when you least expect it, the doors are opened and you're exposed. And suddenly all that influence and impact you were having dissipates in a moment. And Satan's just sitting back going, mission accomplished. That was easier than I thought. Regardless of what it is you do, as the team comes up, regardless of this, what it is you do, it is significant. The wall that Nehemiah was building would never have got built if Ted over there wasn't putting that stone in and Jane over here wasn't putting that hinge on and Ron over there wasn't doing something over there. If it was left up to Nehemiah, it would never have got built. Every single thing that you and I do for the kingdom matters. Every conversation, every invitation, every kind gesture, every sacrificial moment, every gift of love that we give, it matters for the kingdom of God. And God through His Spirit is orchestrating all these things to come together to move the kingdom of God forward and to make an impact. Don't let the enemy derail you through distraction. Don't be distracted by the shiny things. Don't give up because of the gossip and don't go into the temple and close the doors. If you and I concentrate on character and priority, if we concentrate on character and staying focused, I cannot come down. I'm busy with a good work. I cannot come down. I'm busy with a good work. Four times, I cannot come down. I'm busy with a good work. Then God will play the defender. He will palm the enemy off and He will get you across the goal line. That's His job. Your job is to stay focused. So Holy Spirit, as we venture out onto the playing field this week, we do ask that you help us stay focused. All of us have walls to build. Our part in the grand wall. But all those shiny things and all that gossip and the stuff that's in the temple. Lord, forgive us. 
Forgive us when we've done all those things and the enemy could have had a field day, but thank you for protecting us. Thank you for defending us. Thanks for your angels around us to protect us. We appreciate so much that your mercies are new every morning and we get a new chance to run the race. So today we choose to run the race. Pass us the ball, pass us the ball. We wanna run. We wanna try, we wanna score. We wanna kick a goal. Not so that we can be lifted up on the shoulders, but so you can, in Jesus' Name.